Well, good morning, church. It is a joy and privilege to gather with you today as we dive deep into the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to turn uh, to the book of Judges. Judges 6 is where we're going to be journeying through today. And I believe God has laid uh, this upon my heart, and I pray that you will get something out of it as well. And over the last several weeks, Pastor Micah has led us through some amazing Names of God, amen? El Ra'i, the God who sees me. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Yahweh, the personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping name of God. Our Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Our Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. And last week he talked about El Kanai, which is jealous God. And today we come to Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace or the Lord are peace. And I don't know about y'all, but maybe, uh, and maybe just maybe, your life can be unpredictable at times, right? I know my life can be unpredictable at times. There's highs and lows, there's ups and downs, there's joys, there's sorrows, there's blessings, there's disappointments, there's difficulties. Our plans for our lives can change in an instant, our, our dreams change throughout life our our plans can change in a blink of an eye one phone call from a doctor changes everything so how can we find peace in such a depraved and broken world you've heard me talk about this person before when, when i was coming up with a sermon I, I was instantly reminded of his story and he wrote a very famous hymn um, we sang it in the first service called it is well right and you may not know but a man named Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn. He was a very successful, very successful attorney and a very successful real estate investor who lost a ton of money in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And around that time, his beloved four-year-old son also died of scarlet fever. He just wanted to be a good dad. And thinking that a vacation would do his family some good, he, he takes his wife and his four daughters and he puts them on a ship to go to England. He's going to join him after he finishes some business. And However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in this terrible collision and it sunk and 200 people died, included his four daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. And upon arriving in England, she sends a telegram to her husband and all it says was, Saved alone, what shall I do? See, Horatio immediately set sail for England. And at one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship knows what happens, and he, he tells Horatio that they are now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. And as Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his mind and it filled his heart, and he wrote them down. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Perhaps we can't always say everything's okay in all aspects of life. There will always be storms to face, and sometimes there will be tragedies that occur in our life. But R.C. Sproul once said, for the Christian, there can be joy in the midst of suffering. Joy that transcends the pain of the moment. But we don't really understand the grounds for this joy in the house of mirth. We discover it in the house of mourning. It is in weeping that we learn to contemplate the goodness of God. 
It is in mourning that we discover the peace of God that passes all understanding. See, our circumstances do not dictate whether we have peace or not in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is our peace. See, C.S. Lewis put it this way, life with God is not immunity from difficulties. It's peace in difficulties. Hard times are going to come. That's a, just, that's a fact of life, right? Here's some really good news for everyone in here. Hard times are either coming, either hard times just passed, or you're currently in hard times. So that's fun. Well, that's what we get to look forward to in life. But, but Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. See, when, time, when hard times come, we cling to that old rugged cross. Amen? Because God is our peace. And your circumstances in life, they don't affect who God is. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the book of Judges, Gideon comes to understand exactly who God is. And now I've got to say the book of Judges is a wild ride. It's a roller coaster of a rebellion, oppression, and rescue. And the, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they find themselves in this continual cycle of turning away from God, falling into the hands of the enemy, and then crying out to him for deliverance, and then him delivering a judge to redeem them. And it sounds a, a little familiar, right? It's a bit like the ebb and flow of our own lives. And today we're, we're looking at an episode in this roller coaster focusing on Gideon. He's an ordinary guy just trying to do his best to get by, and he encounters God in a way that transforms his entire life. And in this event, we'll see how God reveals himself as the ultimate source of peace. And we're going to read Judges 6, 1 through 24, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm, I'm going to ask Miss Emmy Brannick to come up and read these verses, and then uh, Jensi Fisher will pray for us. Um, so if you're able and willing, I would ask that you stand in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave to them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made themselves the dens that are in the caves, in the mountains in the caves, in the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Alkalimites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and leave no substance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they lay waste in the land as they came. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. The Lord sent prophets to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from all those who have oppressed you, and drove, you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in those land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which was Joash the Asperite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where, all, and where are all his wonderful deeds? That our father and recounted for us, saying, "Do not the Lord did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian." And the Lord turned to him and said, "Go in your might, go in this mighty yours, and save Israel from the hand of Midian." 
do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found the favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you show me a sign that is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will say to you, return. So Gideon went out to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephra of flour. The meat and he put in his basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under a terabith and presented them. He said, the angel said, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. Pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophir, which belongs to the Asperites. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day today that we are able to be here in worship of you, Lord. And I pray that we'll have um, this time and that we'll just take what Pastor Jordan has to say into our hearts. And we'll use it um, in benefit to you, Lord, the rest of our day and week. And I just pray for our um, day that it'll just be great and I pray for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. That is the word of the Lord. Thank you, girls, for reading that and praying over the message. And these verses about the events of Gideon, his encounter with God, and, and the transformation of a fearful man into a mighty warrior for the Lord serves as this excellent backdrop for understanding the profound meaning of Jehovah Shalom. And we're going to dive into this message and we have three points to unravel with the concept of Jehovah Shalom and see our need for the Lord, our peace in our lives. And the first one is recognizing our need for Jehovah Shalom. See in verses 1 through 6 of Judges 6, we we see the Israelites oppressed by the Midianites who were so numerous and so powerful that they left the Israelites in this constant state of just Fear and depression and depression and fear. and But you got to understand something. This had nothing to do whatsoever with the Midianites. They were big. They were bad. They were formidable opponents to the people of Israel. But they're not formidable opponents to the God of Israel. And let's get this straight. If the Israelites would have just followed the Lord, the Midianites are a non-issue. Because the Bible says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And you've probably heard this before, but there's this oceanway proverb that, that I heard in the chamber's house all the time. And it says, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. I got really, really tough when I was younger. And the people, they're not very bright. They've been pretty dumb since they have arrived in the promised land. And the Israelites have been in what feels like this endless cycle of sin, oppression, deliverer, peace for forever. And they can't get out of it. And you have to understand, before they came into the promised land, they made a covenant with God. A covenant is just simply 
an agreement with God, a contract with God. And they said, blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. And they were told by God to annihilate all the people living in the land so they don't fall into Canaanite idolatry. But the people of Israel, they didn't listen. They thought it'd be easier to make peace treaties than to continue in war, and they, they thought wrong. Because here they are, living in fear, living in caves, hiding out. They, can, they ran and hid in these rocks instead of hiding in the everlasting rock of ages, the rock of their salvation, the rock of our salvation. And let me just tell you, church, peace isn't found hiding in a cave. Peace is found in the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. See, the Israelites are in the midst of turmoil. They're scared to death. And the Midianites are, are they're taking all their crops, they're taking all their cattle, they're burning all the land of Israel. And so the people of Israel did what anyone else would do when the world puts you on your knees, right? They prayed to God. They didn't just pray there, they cried out to the Lord. Now, in the past, this is where God would send a judge. So when they start crying out to the Lord, God would send a judge to rescue them from this situation. But that's not what's about to happen. This time he's going to send a message. He's actually going to send um, a sermon through a prophet. God is trying to use this situation to bring about true heartfelt repentance. And God wants them to stop this cycle of sin. And just God's just saying, just follow me. It's better when you follow me. You've been down this road before. You can truly repent of this. And through this prophet, God reminds the people of two things. He reminds them what he has done and what they have done. And what has God done exactly? Well, God tells us. It says, I led you from, up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you the land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in those lands you dwell. What did Israel have done? You have not obeyed my voice. So God's done all this. Y'all didn't listen. And God does this because they don't recognize their true need for him. The people are regretful, not repentant. You've seen the difference when some celebrity or athlete gets caught doing something they shouldn't be doing. They go on television. They make this big public apology. They're not sorry for what they did. They're sorry that they got caught. And that is a difference see regret is sorrow over the consequences of sin but not for the sin itself if there had been no consequences there would have been no sorrow there is no sorrow over the sin for for what it is in itself for how it grieves God and violates our relationship with God see the Bible puts it this way for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death See, the problem is that regret, as soon as the consequences go away, the behavior comes back. The heart has not become disgusted with the sin itself. The sin remains rooted in us. Regret is all about us. How am I being hurt? How my life is being ruined? How my heart is breaking? But repentance, it's, it's all about God. How he has been grieved. How his nature as creator and redeemer is being trampled on. How this repeated sin 
is not acknowledging who God is, and we are just trivializing, trivializing and manipulating God or trying to manipulate it through our actions. And we know the people of Israel are idolaters. God's response to their crying out shows that they are regretful for what they have lost, not repentant. They want it restored, but they are not repenting of their idolatry. God's aim is sending them this prophet, and it's to move beyond regret to repentance because they won't know true peace until they come to God. We will not know true peace until we come to God, church. See, like the Israelites, we look for peace in all the wrong places, right? Like we think we have peace in our bank account when it has a certain number in it. That number can change fast, quick, and in a hurry with one phone call or just one bad president. Or we think we have peace in our life if we have a good relationship or if we're in a good relationship. But even the best relationships go through rough patches. And we've all heard the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if mama's having a bad day, peace ain't on the menu that day. And if mama ain't happy long enough, you might just be out the house and without half your stuff. So then what? Or maybe you find peace and success, peace and how good you are at your job. But what happens to that peace when you have a down year or even worse, the company goes under? See, there was this theologian from Motown. He was around the 70s and 80s. His name was Marvin Gaye. Some of y'all might have heard of him when you went to the drive-in theaters. Some of y'all might be here today because of him. Some of y'all got that joke right away. Some of y'all will get it later. And he said, if you cannot find peace within yourself, you'll never find it anywhere else. Here's the problem with that, because it's wrong, in case you're wondering. You will never find peace inside of yourself until the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And I don't know if you know anything about Marvin Gaye, but he was a drug addict that was married and divorced three times, and he was shot and killed by his own dad. I'm going to go on a limb and say he didn't have true inner peace. Okay? Or maybe you've heard uh, of, of, you think peace, you think hippies and 60s and all that, like, like John Lennon, you know, the song Imagine. I'm sure you've heard that song, Imagine There's No Heaven. That's the beginning, in case you were wondering, John Lennon's belief system, Imagine There's No Heaven, but... The song continues, and he says, imagine all the people living life in peace, and then he does that little oop, 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 right? And then he wants to imagine life without God and with peace. That can't happen. See, I mean, the Beatles couldn't even have peace within the four of them, so he wants the whole world to know true everlasting peace without God. Make that make sense. Good luck with that. So where does our peace come from? Well, the Bible says peace comes from the Lord. Israel doesn't recognize that at this point. They are trying their best on their own. Good luck with that. And if that's you, then good luck with that too, Scooter. Because while the people don't really grasp that they need God fully and completely, God is still going to work before they do. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He goes first. And that brings me to my second point, encountering Jehovah Shalom. See, does God respond or does Israel respond by repenting? There's no sign of it in the scriptures. Judges 6.11 does not say anything about heartfelt repentance or them burning their idols. Instead, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So remember, God goes first. God is commissioning his judge, even though the people have not done any type of repentance whatsoever. 
See, God does not wait for us to repent before he begins to save us. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God went first because God goes first and God is first. See, God initiates. God does not start to save us because we repent. We repent because he's begun his saving work in us externally through the work of the Son and internally through the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Gideon's encounter with the angel of the Lord is a turning point in his life and in understanding who God is, that he is Jehovah Shalom. And it's, an, it's important to understand what is happening here with Gideon. A wine press is a terrible place to thresh wheat. Let me explain to you a little bit about the process with wheat threshing in case you're a little rusty on the process. The way that they threshed wheat was they would throw it up in the air, in the wind, so all the light stuff would blow away, the useless stuff would blow away, and the good stuff, the heavy stuff, falls back down. A wine press is underground, which means it's a terrible place to thresh wheat because you'd have to throw the wheat up really, really high to get to the wind. So why is Gideon doing it here? Because he's afraid. See, the point is, this guy isn't John Rambo. He's not Jack Reacher. He's not even Barney Fife. He is more like Scooby-Doo, right? He, he's not exactly someone you would pick out of a lineup to have you save, save some people, right? But that's kind of the point, because the, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If this were a stage play on Broadway, at this point, everyone would have laughed. Okay? I mean, Gideon is hiding in a hole. That's like going up to a guy that's four foot 11, 130 pounds and saying, what's up, big guy? Right? Like, it's mockery? No. And listen, that'd be like, you know, this is important. I was about to throw a Dean joke in there, but I, I stopped, the Holy Spirit stopped me. The Holy Spirit stopped me. So he doesn't, this is an important piece. So God doesn't speak to Gideon based on what he is, or Gideon doesn't um, hear from God because he doesn't speak to Gideon because of who he is. God is speaking to Gideon based on what God is going to make him into. See, Gideon is not called because he is courageous. He's made courageous as a result of being called. See, God doesn't call the courageous. He gives courage to those he calls. And a theologian pointed out one of the great truths of Scripture is that when God looks at us, he does not see us for what we are, but for what we can become as he works in our lives. And the, the angel of the Lord in his greeting addresses Gideon as a man who had become by God's enablement, not the man he was then. In the same way, like God called Abraham the father of a multitude before he had any children. He was already an old man and he was sterile, but yet he's a father of multitude. And he called Peter a rock before he even behaved like one. He also called Christians saints, even though we are not yet as saintly as God would have us. It's important to know that the, who the angel of the Lord is, by the way. The angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate son of God, meaning it's Jesus before Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And there are several instances of a pre-incarnate son of God throughout the Old Testament, just simply called a Christophany. And, and Jesus would say in his earthly ministry in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Gideon is being encouraged by God, and God is literally saying, I'm going to be with you. The God of peace will be with you. And how does he respond? Let me ask you this. How would you respond? 
Because I think his heart and his spirit should have like leapt for joy. Right? God is with him. But that's not how he's going to respond. And think about this, Christian. God's with you. Right? If you call yourself Christian, God is with you. He dwells in you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? But we get so wrapped up in all the wrongs and all the hardships of this world that we lose sight that, that God is with us. That he dwells in us. We miss that. We miss that our hearts and our spirits don't leap for joy anymore. We let the, the minute little small things of this world pull us away and drag us down to the wine press and away from the God of peace. And here Gideon is letting his circumstances and his own ability miss the miracle right in front of his face. And instead of recognizing what is happening, he's going to ask two, two questions. And he looks at God and he says, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but based on what we just read, that, that question's backwards. Is it God that left his people? No, 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 no. The people left God. His circumstances is part of his own doing. It has nothing to do with God. He walked away from God. God doesn't walk away from us. And he asked, where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? So really he's asking God, why don't you do great things for us anymore? Well, Gideon, the pre-incarnate son of God is right in front of your face. I think that would qualify as a wonderful thing, amen? I would classify that as a great thing. Hey, Christian, where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? You can have salvation in Christ because of what he did on the cross. And you can have eternal life. And if God never does anything for you the rest of your life, that is more than we ever deserve. See, Gideon asks these questions, but God's just going to simply answer, where are all those wonderful deeds at, Gideon? Well, I'm about to do them through you. I'm about to do them through you, Gideon. See, we often look to heaven and ask, God, where are you? Like, we can look around and go, man, this, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Amen? But here's the thing. We are the work of God in our generation. See, think about this. Jesus tells his own disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus tells his, his disciples to pray for workers. And then right after he tells them to pray, he's going to send them out to go do his work. So if you're looking around this country and going, man, this place is getting further and further away from God. God, where are you at? Are you going to do something about this? Let me ask. And I'm not even going to ask a difficult question here. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? And I'm not talking about like a stranger or, or even a friend. How about a family member? When's the last time you invited a family member to join you at church? Well, Jordan, every time I bring it up, they get mad at me. Good, let them get mad. Let them get mad. What are hurt feelings compared to an eternity in hell? See, Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, and I don't have to go home to be married, but it helps. And an invitation is a pretty easy thing to do, right? 
Inviting a family member, a loved one, a co-worker, that's a very simple thing to do that can make an eternal impact. And A.W. Tozer said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. But we're afraid of hurt feelings. We're afraid of telling a lost and dying world that they're lost and dying. But we can make all the excuses in the world on why we don't do that. That's what Gideon did. Instead of recognizing that God is going to be with them, that it's not about him, that it's not about you and me, it's about God, and it's about being in the will of God, he's going to try and make an excuse. Gideon says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So what he's saying here is, God, I am a small coward, and I'm here threshing my weed underground for crying out loud. And God just responds, I will be with you. If, if you have an actual Bible, one that doesn't run out of energy, underline verse 16, I will be with you. God is saying, you, you will take out the massive Midianite army as if you are one scrawny little guy. And Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. So the angel tells Gideon to prepare some food, and then Gideon puts it on the table, and the angel touches the food with a staff, and the flames spring up out of the rock and consume the food. And then God disappears, and Gideon is convinced God is behind it. And the people saw their need for Jehovah Shalom, and God goes to the people, and finally, and this is the third and final truth, they embraced Jehovah Shalom. See, Gideon recognizes at this point that the one true God is with him, and he's going to be with him. And how does Gideon respond? He, he encounters God, and, in, and then he culminates in an act of worship. He reveals the depths of his transformation and an understanding of who God is. See, Gideon builds an altar to the Lord, recognizing that he has seen the face of God, and yet he remains alive. And he names it, the Lord is peace. And this altar serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his peace. It signifies a commitment to follow God's plan, even with faced with overwhelming odds. Embracing Jehovah Shalom means surrendering our fears, Surrendering our doubts and insecurities at the feet of the Prince of Peace. That's what that means. And a man that embraces the God of peace, you can't do anything to a man like that. A man who surrenders his fears, doubts, and insecurities and gives them to God, you can't do anything to that person. Think about Paul. Think about the Apostle Paul. Me and the youth are walking through the book of Philippians right now. And Paul is in a Roman jail cell writing to the church of Philippi and encouraging them to stand firm in their faith. And he says in, in Philippians 1.21, as for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's the ultimate win-win scenario. Because he's saying, if I'm alive, I'm going to tell people about Jesus because God is my peace, and he died so I may live. And I'm going to tell everybody about him. You're going to send me to jail? I'm going to convert your jailers and your prisoners. You're going to kill me? Then I get to go be with Jesus, which is far better, according to Paul. See, courage is not the absence of fear. It's following God in the midst of fear. And the opposite of faith is not having any faith. It's fear. Fear paralyzes, whereas faith produces an action in you. That's why Paul says to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And God's one-line answer to Gideon's fears, doubts, and insecurities is, I will be with you. That is God's one-line answer 
to every fear and inadequacy Gideon has. What would life be like for you if in any situation, if you knew God was with you? You're going into surgery. I am with you. You're going into a new job, a new relationship. I am with you. You're going to talk to somebody about the gospel. I'm with you. Dealing with a problem in your home, I am with you. And if you read just about any secular article about overcoming your fears, it'll always, always talk about banishing whatever thoughts cause fear. Control your thoughts. Don't think about the things that scare you. But God's peace comes a completely different way. It's not closing your eyes to the things that make you afraid, but it's about opening your eyes to the presence of God beside you. That's a peace only a Christian can receive. See, we have God with us, and, and Psalm 56, 11 says, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Short answer is nothing. Do you know this God? See, true courage comes from the presence and the promises of God, and those are given to us without a doubt in the gospel. When Jesus sent out his disciples in the Great Commission, he said, And I will be with you always. Always. To the ends of this age. Go therefore and make a disciple of all nations. The great commission begins with a great announcement. And the power to go far and do much in the great commission comes from the confidence in the great announcement. That's what God says. Go mighty man or mighty woman of valor. I am with you. Is he calling you to be his instrument? To obey him in some way? I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that God is calling you to do something in his work. Because he says, you are a saint, highly beloved in Christ. Colossians 1, 2. But God, I don't feel like a saint. <laughs> That's why he's made you in Christ. You are an ambassador, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That means you are a, on a mission from God. And he will help supply whatever provisions you need. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And he says, you are a son or daughter. He will never leave you or forsake you and he says be strong and very courageous for the lord your god is with you wherever you go you are a mighty man of valor church we don't work up courage it's not something that comes from our personality it comes from embracing our identity in jesus it is it is received as a gift not worked out so don't look to your courage to give you an identity in christ look to your identity in christ to give you courage look to jehovah shalom the Lord is peace. Stand with me as we pray together and the worship band comes. Father God, we are so thankful that you are our peace. Lord, and there are men and women who are struggling in this room, Lord, who need to feel your peace, Lord, to feel your presence, to know you more, to do your work. Lord, there's someone in here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I would pray that today would be their day of salvation, that they come to cry out for Jehovah Shalom, because the Lord is our peace. Lord, I pray that you finish this time in the only way you can, by glorifying your name. Convict us, Lord, where there needs to be conviction. Finish this time, Father. Amen.